420 yesterday. It's a beautiful, glorious day in New York City. Celebration time for all. And now today is uh, National Surprise Drug Test Day. Oh, very nice. (laughs) 421. I called in sick. I called in sick. (laughs) Hello, I'm Mantis Ivar, and you're listening to the Indaba Music Podcast. Today we have a very special show for you, featuring an interview with Indaba Music member and TalkBak virtuoso, Temu Bakat. We have him here in the Indaba Music Studio today recording some vocal stems for Marvin Gaye's classic song, What's Going On. We'll discuss why we had him in the studio today with the Indaba Music team, learn about how he plays the talk box, and dive into his oh-so-funky influences. The Indaba Music logo has been colored purple for the past few weeks in honor of our beloved Prince. May he rest in purple. All right, we're here today at Indaba Music with a very special guest, an incredible person, very, very talented musician who goes by the name of Temu. What's up? Thank you for joining me, Temu. Uh, it's a pleasure. The pleasure is mine. You know, I met Temu quite a while ago, at least a year and a half ago. Yeah. We were doing some stuff for the Converse Library, and um, he came in and laid down some talk box. It's a really great instrument. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Talk box. Um, yeah, well, the talk box, um, it's essentially a concoction of three elements. So it's, you have the, whichever is your signal feed, it can be a guitar or a keyboard. I use it, in my case, I use a keyboard and then I feed that sound into the talk box via an amp in my case. And then that sound in the talk box is, the talk box is essentially a speaker, so it's just a speaker enclosed in a in a metal box. And so when you record this, do you mic the speaker, or is there a direct out on no, this? Or no, I just you you use it like any other normal vocal. So just the way that we're using these microphones here. So I would just have the talk box, and then there's a, a tube that's you know connected to the talk box, and I have that tube in my mouth. So basically, the all that sound of the speaker, all that sound is pumped into my mouth into my cheeks and then I shape the sound with my mouth and my throat. So the same way if I go ah, ah, ah when I'm moving my tongue like back and forth that way, that's the way I can shape shape the words uh, with, with my mouth. But I actually don't use my voice at all. So if I want to say happy birthday to you, I'll just say happy birthday to you. And then everything else is done with just- The shape of the mouth. Right. Consonants and syllables is it's just- it's just all air, basically. Nice. Well, it's a really great sounding instrument. Not too many people use it these days, but the way Temu uses it is uh, it's always appropriate and always perfect. Let's take a listen to, to some of his work. Yeah, I mean, since we were talking about talk boxing, then, um, then we could put up talk box groove. <laughs> Thank you. 
questions here from your fans here at Novel Music. <laughs> so, one of them is, how did you get started in music and dancing? I mean, obviously, we all know that music and dancing go together, and you have to know both sides to do it. I've been in music all my life. I, I play in rhythm sections my whole life, and I can't dance, <laughs> you know, to save my life. So Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very special uh, uh, connection between the two. Because, well, my mom has been a pro dancer since she was very young but she's always loved theater she always loved cabaret and as she got older she would you know take uh, some vocal lessons out now and then and then at the same time although they although my parents weren't together by the time I came I came around my dad at that point had already done some work with uh, groups like um, the theater place like Mama I Wanna Sing for example so he was very much immersed into the R&B soul and gospel approach when it comes to vocal vocal work but at the same time he also went to the clubs and danced himself and he was more more the house dancer type he was a street dancer club dancer type dude so there was this strange wild balance that was going on my mom was more of the ballet uh modern dancer very very hardcore disciplined dancer and then on the side she would you know mess around and, and take some vocal lessons and my dad Hardcore singing, playing as much as possible all the time. But then every weekend, he would kind of do his thing and get out into the clubs, you know, the shelter and yada, yada, yada. Well, it's nice that you're exposed to both of those sides. Of right. Because so now it's all natural for you. Right. So I had, the, I had the exposure to both the professional side of music and dancing. And so when I came up, by the time I was five, you know, Michael Jackson was in full effect. There was no stopping that. If... If you didn't like Michael Jackson, you were definitely I know what you're talking about. He was one of my great inspirations. We were close right. to the same age. Exactly. And I don't know, know how that worked out because <laughs> today I'm only 29 years old. But <laughs> at know. any rate, he was my inspiration. And, you know, I looked at him. We all looked at him and said, look, if he could do it, I could do it. Right. But the thing was, was because both of my parents were both very much immersed into the professional entertainment business, they gave me a very special perspective on Michael Jackson that not many parents was able to do for their children during that time. And crazy as I was about Michael Jackson, it started to pull back, but not in a negative way, but in a way that it, it helped me more than anything. What they did was they told me, they said, well, all this stuff, Michael Jackson is amazing and all this stuff is great, but you have to understand that he gets his inspirations from other people. And those people are, he told, they told me what the people are. And my parents told me he studies them. He doesn't copy them. He studies them. He goes and sizes them up every single tiny little thing. He studies them all the way down to the T. Sammy Davis Jr., Diana Ross, Gladys Fred Astaire, um, dancer, Bob Fawcett, they're just, they're, you know, other dancers, performers, singers, vocalists, James Brown, of course. You know, so he studied these people. These are these were very much a part of his approach. What he did was he took all these things inspirations and packed it all into a brand new approach and came up with this new thing and so that and then at the same time you know as he was going on then you have the rise of the street dancers coming up at the same time so you had the original lockers coming up in the early 60s 
late 70s and at the same time you had the electric boogaloos michael jackson jackson five's uh management team joe jackson they hired them hired them to go and teach the jackson five how how to lock how to do the robot michael jackson came in and had pop and pete jazzy J. I know all of these dancers pop and taco all these dancers that went and taught michael jackson how to do these moves what these styles are and so that just gave me a totally different perspective. Well, by the time I was seven, I had already done away with Michael Jackson. I said, okay, now I know what that's about. Who's this guy? And that guy was Quincy Jones. Mm. But at seven, I was like, who's Quincy Jones? Because now Quincy Jones is the one that seems to be making this all go around somehow. And I was all crazy about Stevie Wonder and stuff. So I was doing the same thing that Michael Jackson was. I was like, okay, I want to be a little bit of Michael Jackson. I want Stevie Wonder. I want the Quincy Jones. I want the MC Hammer. I want to do my own version of what Michael Jackson did. When you know, when you go from that sort of situation where you understand Michael Jackson, you're a fan, and you know you understand him, and you're ready to move on. You you reach out to his mentors or people around him that has inspired him, and you learn that they're so very different. Right. It kind of like lets you know as a music listener that it's okay to listen to stuff that you're not used to listening to. Right. I was definitely fortunate with that. You know, my mom was bringing home the weirdest stuff, you know, like way back, right, just when MIDI was like really coming up, you know, she had full on albums of Bach and only these wild MIDI versions. And, you know, <laughs> John, yeah, and John Luke Ponte and stuff like that. You know, just, little violin in there. Right, exactly. Just, just Some stuff that I would stuff. never, mm. ever, 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 no cat from Harlem would ever, ever, ever hear this kind of stuff. Mm. Never in their lifetime. So I was definitely fortunate to be exposed to all kinds of wild stuff. Awesome. Tell me a little bit about um, your experience with like meeting us here at Indaba Music and how this is how, you know, how this has led you to where we are today. Well, man, then you have to go back to... Was it 2007? Yeah. The Mariah Carey remix? Oh, yeah. It's a long time ago. Absolutely. That was one of the, our first, certainly one of our first pop remixes. Yeah. Yeah. The, it was one of the first like ones that was really making a lot of noise. I was living in, in Europe at that time, but I was back in New York for a little while. And uh, when I saw that opportunity and I heard the song, I was like, you know, I, I can actually do something with Because I, I actually, I didn't really care too much for the song, but I was like, I can actually flip this in a, in a way that that would resonate with the audience or you know the communities I come from so I wanted to capture that vibe that um that puff daddy would bring with the bad boy entertainment remix type feel where it was like a real simple repetitive but funky type of vibe and then that 90s you know bad boy entertainment feel you know with the Mariah Carey on top and, and it's and it's been She's done other tracks with, with with Puff Daddy, so I wanted to kind of just recapture that again. And I think because because there wasn't anyone else really capturing that vibe on that song, I had, I was able to make enough noise to get that honorable mention. Although I didn't win it, but I, I got that honorable mention. And from there, it really changed my um, outlook in terms of how I can create opportunities for myself 
using the internet and what the platforms could mean in the future, you know, and, and most importantly, because, you know, I, I had already known, I was like, okay, if they started out with Mariah Carey, you know, how far can this go? For many years, I had many ideas of being able to take songs and remix them, but not just remix them, but do my, my own complete rendition of it. But doing that type of stuff, you run into a lot of problems if you put that stuff out on your own, you know? So I, it, when I saw that, I was like, okay, this could actually be a window into being able to do this with popular music and actually do it legally with no problems. It's uh, you know, a streamlined legal services and all that stuff. I don't have to worry about lawyers and all this crap. And so, and from there, I was like, okay, this this is really changing the game here. And I always kept my eye on Indaba, and every now and then I'll you know, put some music up. And I've met a lot of, I've actually met quite some people over time. I guess it was the magic and sorcery one where things really kind of started to wake up again. When I put that up and actually won the thing, it's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the, you use the word legal. And this is a perfect opportunity for me to explain that it's really important for us to work in a legal manner if you want to make it. You know, at least at Indaba Music, you have the opportunity to work with world-class superstars. You know, if you go about it illegally, it could get you in hot water, and it's really not going to get you anywhere. They're going to shut you down. They're going to close you out, and then mm-hmm. they're not going to trust you in the end. So we love you here at Indaba Music. We don't want to see you go anywhere. Just keep on working hard. You guys are great, and hopefully these opportunities will bring you something, as it has many, many other members in the past. Like me. At like like Temu, exactly. So I'm really grateful for this friendship because as he mentioned, he's from, when I first met him, another country. And I was like, okay, this funky guy comes in. He's going to play. He blew me away. And now I'm going to want to hang out with him every single day because he's just funky, funky, <laughs> I'll hang funky. i with you, man. But then he's like, I got to go back home to Sweden, was it? Yeah. So, all right. So he disappeared. But when he came back, I'm happy to say I was one of the first people he called. You know, he may have called his, you know, aunt or something, but... Nah, man. He called Mantis. He said, yo, I'm back in town. Let's hang out. Let's do something. Yeah, man. So here we are today, and I'm really honored to have him. You know, you're going to hear what he does here in the Marvin Gaye session here in just a moment. All right, well, we're going to take a minute to listen to this Mariah Carey remix. Hope you guys enjoy it. Shorty, I wanna dip in the bins and act naughty Pull up a blunt, you been from this party We can pretend we celebrating your party You can pretend I let you drive my Ferrari That's not me to make up these stories Excuse me, miss You know, you know John Cage? John Cage, you ever hear John Cage? So he wrote this one composition called 433 And 433 represented four minutes and 33 seconds. Right. So it was the length of the song. But what the song consisted of was he sat at the piano, opened the lid to the keys, and for four minutes and 33 seconds, he sat in silence. (laughs) So it was four minutes and 33 seconds of silence? Not really. The music, the composition was the natural sounds that were happening within that four minutes and 33 seconds. (laughs) So what Indaba Music did is one year we had a April Fool's opportunity (laughs) called Remix John Cage 433. So we put up a bunch of stems with no sounds on it. (laughs) And we got sounds back that were so incredible. The natural environment sounds of Indaba members. 
things like <laughs> let me ask you i've always i've only worked with you in the studio yeah whether it was at the converse rubber track studio or here tonight at indaba music what is it like what are the differences between going live and working in the studio do, do you have to work differently do you have to accept things differently or my life experience goes way back you know um all the way until i was nine ten i started in boys choir of harlem Trained there for about two years, and then I trained in New York Young People's Chorus for about three years. With both of those choruses, you know, we performed in the most prestigious places. And by the time I was thirteen, I had been, I had already been to Europe twice and uh, performed in big cathedrals and massive places. So by the time I was around thirteen, fourteen, my dad had dragged me into the studio because he was frustrated with his his friends that were trying to make a house song and couldn't figure it out. And uh, I came in and, you know, I had been hanging out with my dad a lot. I, my, I wasn't, I didn't live with my dad, but we spent a lot of time. He was also a musician, he also a great, very great singer. And so I spent a lot of time sucking up a lot of his, his music inspirations. And so I knew what he was looking for. I knew the kind of sound that he was looking for. And so when I came into the studio, I just kind of knew what I wanted. He's like, I want a house song. I want this type of sound. And I was like, okay, give me this sound. I'm looking for this and I'm looking for that. And found what I needed, laid down the tracks I needed, and we made our loops. And to him and his friend Tom, you know, they were just in complete awe. But for me, I was like, this is what I needed. I needed this because I had these ideas all the way up until then. I was DJing and stuff like that. So I just had all these ideas of being able to take elements together and I decipher them and and now um, you are finally able to let it out, right? So I had this place to let it out. Whereas for a lot of other people, you know, they'll you know maybe write melodies or maybe write a song and try to fit that into a melody. Well, by the time I got into the studio, I had done so much performing and and had gotten so much packed into my head that by that point I had already very full, vivid ideas in my head. Whereas many people. Especially if you're 13, you know you're not you're not coming into the studio thinking far beyond your means. You, and so by the time I got to the studio, I, I was I was just frustrated because I couldn't make that big 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 sound happen. It was actually just wasn't enough access for me. Um, so really, for in the studio, it's actually sort of frustrating because I don't have that grand access. Whereas when it comes to live, every now and then I'll get my hands on enough people and enough network to pull together something big. So I, I think at one point uh, I had maybe like a 17 person uh, live gig going on, just, you know, playing my own stuff. And it was, a, it was an amazing feeling. Um, and for them, you know, for, for the people in the band, it was like too much for them. But for me, I was like, now I get people to fill these roles where I can, you know, yeah. I can hear, I can actually make this happen on stage. And it's so exciting because live, you know, there's such a, Different energy, you know, right. it's like in, in the studio, everything is controlled. Everything but is when controlled. you get out there, it's like, you know, I grew up playing rock and roll. So I appreciate a little chaos from now, right. every now and then. And for me personally, you know, I would have these grand ideas and, and, you know, because I'm in the studio, I can layer and layer and layer things on top. But then when it's time to now try and translate to live, then it only feels like one fifth of what I think it could be. But then what I do is, 
we have to find some other way to you know to be able to capture all those elements mm-hmm. and make it work. And I think that's the the beauty of it because the more I did that, the more I began to think about it preemptively when I would write my songs. From my perspective as a bass player, mm. I guess I can't say that bigger bands are my favorite, but I really love to play them. Right, I guess right. smaller bands are great because it lets me bounce around and and do a little bit of stuff on the bass, but but I love big bands. It's fun and it's really exciting to play with others. Yeah, I love I love when it's a when it's when it's a big band and everyone carries a real steady role, you know. And it's like and it's just mm-hmm. it's just in that groove. It's you know you're in that that yeah. That everybody tunnel, knows you know? when to step up, and then when they do, it's right. right. Then right. They, then it, more importantly, they know when to step out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We have a very special session this evening here at the Indaba Music Recording Studios. We decided to get the staff together and record stems for Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Mm. So we have Brian McFarland on drums and percussion, and um, we have one of our interns, David, playing guitar. I play a little bass. Tamu is on the talk box. He's doing a great job on vocals. And we have Rick Louie on, on um, keyboards. And, you know, we're going to see what else happens. We're in the middle of doing a session now, but we're going to take this time to talk to Tamu while we have him here in our presence. And, um, you know, we got together to record this Marvin Gaye session to build stems for the Indaba Music members to um, utilize. They could take them, chop them up, make their own renditions of uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. You know, this is a really great opportunity because this is brought to us from Sony ATV. Sony ATV is the largest licensing company in the world. The reason why they gave us this tune is because they want us to make our rendition so that they could potentially place it into a film. And if they do place it into a film, I have to tell you, the, the financial rewards could be great for, for a musician. You know, it's a, really, it's a very exciting opportunity. And I encourage everybody out there listening to get involved in this you know, send in your version of uh, what's going on. You don't have to use these stems, but these are here just for tools. Please send us what you got, all different renditions and female vocalists, you know, instrumentals, whatever you have. It's a great tune to play and, um, and it's fun. We're really looking forward to hearing your version. But while we have Temu here, I wanted to talk with you for a moment about this particular session here. Yeah. How did you hear about this session? How did you come across this? How did I end up here with you tonight? This is an honor for me to actually sit in a recording booth right next to you, look over there and see you getting down on the talk box. It's really just a great honor for me. How, how yeah. did you get here? I was just coming over to this to just bother you, man. <laughs> I walked into it. It ain't no bother unless you don't bring a lighter. <laughs> then you got to go to the <laughs> store, my go. man. <laughs> then you go. I do not want to take a walk to the store out here, man. It's like, well, just like I tell the ladies, you know, the only place to be is with me. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're here, you're all right. Talk to me so you can see what's going on. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? Ah, oh, what's going 
Listen, Timo, I want to say thank you so much for coming down and spending this hey, time with it us. It's really just pleasure. it's my pleasure to play with you, to jam with you. I'm really grateful that we had this opportunity over this past year and a half or so to build our friendship. And, oh, man. You know, I'm looking forward to, to future things we could do. Yes. Listen, we're going to take this out with Tamo because, you know, he's one of my funkiest friends out there. So we're going to take this out. I'm sure you guys will enjoy this. You know, look him up. Come on into the conversation. He has some stems in there that you guys can work with. And, and you're going to be hearing a lot more about this guy. All right, everybody, enjoy. Tamo, thank you so much for coming by. We really appreciate it. We love you here at Indaba Music. I thank you. Thank you, Indaba Music. Love you all. And I'm going to hit you guys with some stuff later on in the future. Keep your ears open. Oh, his funkiness has arrived. Back from the future. A Sir Funkadophilus on the one. Hit it! Taking it back, y'all. Who we doing it for this time, boys? Tell me. Well, you know I can dig it. Well, all right. Y'all ready for that groove, y'all? Come on. Here we go. I'd like to thank Temu for joining me today and sharing his incredible talent with us and the Indaba music community. You can hear and download his vocal stems, along with all the instrumental stems recorded by the Indaba Music Team on the What's Going On cover contest page. We decided to make these stems so our members who don't have access to recording facilities can create their own version of What's Going On and participate in the contest themselves. And we can't wait to hear what you got going on. We have some unique opportunities up on Indaba now that we're very excited about, including producer challenges from the Converse Sample Library, a STEM challenge sponsored by Tract, and a mixing competition sponsored by Pensado's Place that could win you some amazing prizes and a Skype call with Dave Pensado himself. If you're a remixer, I'd like to let you know that submissions are still open for Aline and Jeremy Zucker remix competitions. Introducing the Brass Operator. Our outro music today is the track Funkadophilus and the Brass Operator, or Ode to Bootsy by Tamo. Our Indaba podcast theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. This podcast is a production of IndabaMusic.com. It was produced by Garrett Frierson and hosted by me, Mantis Evar, with the assistance from my team. Thank you all for listening. We love you. And we'll see you in the listening party.